Okay. We were talking about, we've been talking about the love of God. It's going to be short today because we got a picnic to go to. I thought I was going to get my first applause from you. I could remind you, you know, the story for some of you don't know where the pastor puts his watch up on the pulpit and the kid said to his dad, what does that mean? He says, nothing. Doesn't mean a thing. So, this... This picnics don't mean a thing to me. They're good, they're good. Um, We've been looking at the Scripture and going over some aspects of the meaning of the Scripture. But before I do, I just want to say, this is why we were born. Every one of you. This is why you were created. God created you to do this. Jesus was asked, which is the first commandment? Matthew 22, and he says, And thou shalt love, he says, The first of all commandments is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And uh, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy in three areas. And he's, this is, uh, I put all, there's quote, it's said three times in the New Testament, he quotes it uh, a couple of times. He says, uh, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, mind. And uh, thou shalt, the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as all thyself. And all the commandments of God rest on these two. And so this is why God saved us. And I put them all together, all the areas that says this. And basically it says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy service, Heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, strength, ability, force, emotions, thoughts, will, intentions, attentions, desire, and focus. That's pretty thorough right there. And I learned something new this week that has been amazing to me that I missed something. In the in my vines, and my wife doesn't like for me to tell you this. She says it's condescending, but I'm going to tell you anyways. I'm going to read to you out of my vines expository dictionary of New Testament Greek words. Now I'm not trying to be condescending. It just took me like years to be able to just say that. Vines expository dictionary of New Testament Greek words. I fi- after I finally learned it and finally got to where I could say it, my wife says, you know, you don't have to say that every time, you know. I says, yes, I do. And it's for me. So I love my vines, okay. And uh, this word love is the Greek word agape, or that's the noun. God is agape. Uh, that's uh, 1 John 4, 7. Or the Greek word uh, agapeo, which is the verb of agape, agapeo, agape. And I, how many of you remember that I've said within the last two or three weeks that back at Teen Challenge, my mentor, my the chaplain at Teen Challenge, said that the very first time 
the word agape is used in the Greek is in the Bible. The very first time. And the very first time that it's used is when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and Jesus says to Nicodemus uh, later on, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and that was the first time that it was used. Now, I made the, if you remember, how many of you remember me saying that in the last two or three weeks? Yeah, two people. Yeah, you nodded. Yeah, okay, I'm about to nod out myself. So, I have tried to confirm that. I haven't been able to confirm it until this last week. Um, Before, how many of you remember when we had Dr. Carroll here? Okay, he was the one that we had up on campus that had like $2 million worth of artifacts. And uh, I was blessed to have him stay in my home. We were the ones, our church sponsored him being up there. Uh, and all of space backed it up. And there was quite a beautiful turnout out there. And I remember, <laughs> I remember for starters, when, when Dr. Uh, Carroll was in my living room, I asked him about this question that, you know, back when my, and I never asked my, my uh, chaplain back at Teen Challenge. Back in those days, you didn't know enough to ask questions. You know, it's, 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 you're just taking everything in for the first time. And so anyway, he says, uh, and I told him what it was. Is that the first time? And he says, I don't know. Now, this guy speaks Greek and Hebrew. I mean, the, the, you know, the Greek Bible, he, can, he reads, he studies in the Greek Bible. So this guy knows his stuff. You know, and I could confirm just how much he does know. He was an archaeologist and he got a phone call while we were, he's in my living room and his phone ring was dun 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 Indiana Jones, you know. Indiana Jones. So he looks at me and he says, my kids put that ringtone on my... <laughs> he didn't want me to think that he did. So he wasn't able to confirm it. Now, this is some... I'm going to read to you out of the Vines. I've read these things before. I always read them when I counsel people for marriage, weddings, that I'm going to, to officiate in marriage counseling. And so... <clears throat> Uh, but I didn't read this first part that much. And I, I was reading it, I read it for some reason this, this last week. And it said this, this is amazing, that I don't know how I ever missed this before. But it, it says agape, agape. It says in the corresponding noun agape, uh, the characteristic word of Christianity. And since the spirit of revelation has used it to express ideas previously unknown. <laughs> Do you know what he just said? Agape was previously unknown before Christianity. Because see, my chaplain back at Teen Challenge would say that it was John the Beloved 
that invented the word agape, God's love. Wow. And you really think he could invent a word? How many of you know Matthew, uh, John 21, where, you know, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. This is after the resurrection. And then Jesus comes to them after they've been out there fishing. He says, have you, they're coming in. He says, have you any meat? And he says, no, we haven't caught anything. He says, throw your net on the right side. And they pull it up and it's full. And it isn't breaking. And Peter says, it's the Lord. They couldn't recognize him physically at that time. He says, it's the Lord. And he jumps in and he swims ahead of everybody else. And Jesus is waiting with a fire and he says, bring the fish. And after they had eaten and broke bread, uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? I'm 100% sure that he was talking about the fish. Okay, For a long time, I thought he's about the other disciples. Do you love me more than they do? But he's not talking about the disciples. He's talking about the fish because he was going back to fishing, you know? And he wasn't going for, for uh, like some of us go for fishing for fun. Peter didn't fish for fun. He was a, that was his previous job. So he's going to, he says, do you love me more than these fish? And it says in the Greek, in the Testament, that that word, when he says, lovest thou me more than these, that word lovest is agapeo, the verb of agape. And Peter says, you know that I love you. Phileo love, different love. And he says, feed my lambs. Then Jesus says to him the second time, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, you know that I love you. Agapeo, phileo. Jesus says, agapeo. Peter says, phileo. Third time, third time Peter getting upset about this. This is third time he says, do you love me more than these? You know, now they were not speaking Greek. That's why Peter was upset with him the third time. Peter thought he said he used the same word that he did. You see? Yeah, it's it's just use your head. He thought he was saying do you, like, like we read, lovest thou me? You know I love you. Same word. They were speaking Aramaic. You know? It was John that recognized Jesus meant something different. And it was John that recognized Peter didn't get it. Alright? So that coincides with the thing that John comes up and invents a new word. Agape, right? Meaning God's love. Now I want to read to you the definition of agape love. Why is this important? Because this is the same one where it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He's quoting from the Old Testament, three places in Deuteronomy. But he says this. This is the, this is what, and I love this. Because see, this is the kind of love that makes a marriage work. If you do not have this love, your marriage is going to fail. I promise you that. That doesn't mean you're going to end up in a divorce. Okay? But your marriage is still going to fail. 
I guarantee it. What does the love of God, the agape love, it's just different than phileo love or eros love. And it says this, love, agape love, can be known only from the actions it prompts. God's love is seen in the gift of his son. See, that's the action that it's prompted by action. Right? And, uh, but obviously, this is not the love of complacency or affection. You see, God's love is not the love of affection. Right? Why? That is, it is not drawn out by any excellency in its object. Do you know what the objects of God's love is? Me. No, me. All right, you too. God, so love the world. Ain't nothing about the world that's lovable. There's nothing about you that's lovable before you came to God. You were not lovable. You were sin. All right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'll read that sentence one more time, but obviously this is not by a love of complacency or affection. That is, it is not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. It was, it has Romans 5 8 in there. Romans 5 8 is the very first scripture, well, there's only been two scriptures that I knew before I ever read them because I knew the, the truth of this fiction. Romans 5 8 says that, and we, this we know about the love of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's, 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 we didn't deserve it. We didn't have anything lovable about us when he died for us. Now listen to this. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which is or accept that which lies in the nature of God himself. God loved you, 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 because he chose because of who he is, not because of who we are. Hello? All right. Do you get that? All right. Now I'm going to look at something else here. Last week I read to you from the Song of Solomon. Now, if you read this scripture, or if you read, if you remember what I read about thou shalt love the Lord thy God, all of those things, which are agape love, but it's a, it's a, it's a uh, giving back to God. No, he says in First John, First John uh, nine and ten, four nine and ten. No man ever loved God first. So you can't love. God, with all your heart, mind, body, soul, strength, everything, including emotions, the difference between agape love when we love him back is that it is because of total assignable cause in the object. Do you understand what I'm saying? What's the assignable cause? God is love. God loves us. God is beautiful. God is great. God is wonderful. You see? We love God 
because he first loved us. That's what it says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. You know, 1 John 7 and 8, that's God is love. And so when we love him back, it is because an assignable cause in the object. He is the object, you know. You know, remember that old song? The object of my complexion has changed. No, the object of my affection has changed my complexion to white, to rosy red. That was that song was written and sung way before I was born. So don't tell me it was before your time. I don't even want to hear it. All right. Now, I read to you something last week, and I, I, I'd hoped that somebody would say something to me about this, but nobody did. So it's your fault, not mine. All right. This is out of the Song of Solomon. We talked about metaphors, okay? There are metaphors. The Bible, when it talks about love in a human characteristic, and by the way, agape love includes all the loves. Agape love includes phileo love. Agape love includes eros love, which is, it had evolved over many, many years as being something dirty, like erotic. But eros love is one of the most beautiful of all loves. It's romantic love. All right? So, I was reading you two out of something that I've come to really appreciate, and that is a translation called the TPT, the Passion Translation. So if you have the ability to look at a lot of different translations like I have in my app, uh, apps, i got a number of them. Um, this is out of the Passion Translation, and I'm just going to read to you something that the bridegroom says to the bride. Song of Solomon is this song that's going back and forth between the bridegroom and the bride the Shulamite bride. And so, this is a portion of where the bridegroom is telling the bride how beautiful she is to him. It is a metaphor. It is a metaphor. Christ is our bridegroom. We, as the church, are his, his bride. We are his bride. We are his Shulamite bride. And so we have this uh, relationship with him. It, you know, we, there may be some celebration that looks like a wedding ceremony, celebration, but it won't be what we think it is because it's some earthly things or metaphor. Jesus isn't a real rock, but he's the stone the builders rejected. It's a metaphor. We aren't li- real stones, but we're living stones. It's a metaphor. You know, we're going to have... How many, is there anybody in here that's going to be baptized today at Fortin Park? Anybody? Okay. They're all anchor people then, I guess. All right. Do you know what it says about baptism? It says in Colossians that baptism is circumcision of the heart circumcision. I'm not, I didn't use that word. It's in there. Trust me. Look it up. 
<laughs> Circumcision. Ooh. Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, puts him to sleep in a dream. He kills all these animals, divides them into two pieces, and passes between them up and down. And he says, because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, multiplying, I will multiply thee, and uh, I will bless the nations through you. Then later on in the covenant, he says, now I want you to do something. I want you to circumcise every male. That was a sign of the covenant for you. Baptism is circumcision of the heart. It's a metaphor. It's like having the flesh of your heart cut away from you. That's why it says another one, we're crucified with Christ. My old man has crucified him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth I should not serve sin. Those are metaphors, all right? This is a metaphor, but I want you to, I'm going to ask you this. What is different about this than what we were just talking about previously? Now listen to this. And I'm just going to read some more of what I read last week. And this is just the bridegroom talking to the bride. All right. Listen, my dearest darling. You are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. How do you like those apples? I like them. Your eyes glisten with love, like gentle doves behind your veil. We had something about a veil today being pulled back. What devotion I see each time I gaze upon you. You are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. Now see, there's a metaphor. He's using a metaphor about a metaphor. When I look at you, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Have you ever tasted God's word? He's saying to the bride, I see you how you have tasted my word. Your life has become clean and pure, like a lamb washed and newly shorn. You now show grace and balance with truth on display. Your lips are so lovely as Rahab's scarlet ribbon. Speaking mercy and speaking grace. Your word, the words of your mouth. That's God, Jesus, my Lord, talking to me and you. The words of your mouth are as refreshing as an oasis. God says, when I speak to him, it's like getting a cold drink of water after being starved, thirsting through the desert. What pleasure you bring to me. I see your blushing cheeks open like the halves of a pomegranate showing through your veil of tender meekness. When I look at you, I see your inner strength so stately and strong. You are as secure as David's fortress. Your virtues and grace cause a thousand famous soldiers to surrender to your beauty. Your pure faith and love rest over your heart as you nurture those who are yet infants. That's, I'm not going to go into what the Shulamite says back to the bridegroom. We've already had that. 
That's what was worship. We're saying we're the bridegroom talking back to the bride. We're the bride talking back to the bridegroom. But these were things that... Now what is... reason I said nobody, nobody challenged me on this. What's the challenge? What's the challenge? Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. Where could I be challenged? Pastor? Maybe after today. Did you get it today? <laughs> it's so simple. I know. Don't be so condescending. I, I know. I'm sorry. How is the things that the bridegroom said about us due to no assignable cause? Hello? You, you catch what I'm saying? Agape love. Shall I read it again? Fran. No, I'm not asking you to explain it. I'm, I'm talking about the, the contradiction. What's the contradiction? I'm glad nobody could hear you because you was ruining my sermon. No, no. What is agape love? Agape, God loved us out of no assignable cause. There's nothing in the object worth love. Everything I just read about that I just read about you was all about the object. Do you get it now? So how is how can this be? Well, for starters, remember agape love includes everything. But how is it that he could say those things about how beautiful we are when there's no assignable cause? Well, first of all, this is there. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus has made us beautiful. See, he was made sin that knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. I am not the world. You are not the world. If you are the world, don't leave here before you, you get part, become part of the bride. He has given us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that we might be trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. You see, we have been changed. And that's why He can say, you're beautiful to me. There is an assignable cause, but the cause is something that He did in us Himself. Now you get it? Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? That God loves us so much that he changes us into the Shulamite bride. You know, early in the chapter, there's a giveaway. Because she says, my brothers were angry with me. The Shulamite bride. My brothers were angry with me. And so they made me work in the vineyard. And while I was working in the vineyard, I got all black and with sun. And I'm not beautiful anymore. So she starts off where she says, I'm not so beautiful. But then the bridegroom says, you're beautiful to me. You're, be- you're gorgeous. You are beauty itself. Do you know something? 
that, that part where she says, I have not kept my own vineyard. I have kept my father's vineyard, but I was, I, my own vineyard I'm ne- neglected, so I'm not beautiful. That's when we were in the world. But you see, we were made beauty. We are beauty itself to him. And see, this is something we need. You've got to, you, this is something you need to get. One of the biggest problems in Christianity is over the years, uh, the, the, the teaching of sin has just utterly destroyed our self-image. And that's a good thing if you're a sinner. That's a good thing. Except for one thing, I have been predestined before the world was ever even made. I have been predestined to be conformed to his image. So I've been conformed to the image of Christ. It's a process. I haven't arrived yet. I'm getting there though. Do you understand where I'm coming from now? God has made us beautiful. I'm beautiful to God. And you see, all my self-worth is in that. You know, I'm not going to go, I'm not saying we shouldn't, we should encourage one another. You know, there's a whole lot of words talking about what we should love one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, exhort one another. All these words talking about one another. But if you ever start drawing your self-worth from each other, you're going down the tubes, my friend. You're going down, down. Your self-worth is in Christ. In Christ alone, I have found my hope. In Christ alone, He is my, he is my light, my strength, and my song. In Christ alone, because of the love that God has toward me and because He loves me, that's my value. If you see, that's why Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. If you do it because you love the sheep, they're going to starve, my friends. They're going to starve. Because, you know, I love you. But I'll tell you what, if I serve God because of my love for you, going down, you're going down. (laughs) No, it's because God loves me. Gave me beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Could we have the band come back up, please? Have the children come up. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Through all the trials, through all the tribulations, most of which I brought on myself. Lord, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for getting that arrow deep in my heart. Lord, just sink it deeper and deeper and deeper. Let it go deeper. Lord, Hallelujah. You know, uh, I saw there was a T-shirt in out of uh, out of uh, Calvary Chapel. We went to a Calvary Chapel meeting, and this person had a T-shirt, 
and you see this dove holding the shoulders of a person and flying. And the t-shirt says, do you have the Holy Spirit? Or does the Holy Spirit have you? And I'll tell you what, (laughs) I'm just glad he has me. I count not myself to have apprehended that which I have been apprehended for. But this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize 